welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to I See You. This is episode 33, Pornography Addiction Part 3, Hope in Recovery. Today's the finale of our series. This is my favorite part. Today is all about hope. And make sure you stick around for a pretty interesting blooper reel. If you're wondering, can you have a blooper reel taken from a series on a serious topic like pornography addiction? I say you can, so it's happening. Let's go ahead and go over to our review. Today's review is actually taken off the podcast app Podbean, which I didn't even know my podcast was on there, so that's kind of cool. The review says, Every mother has a type of poop in my hair story. Hard in the moment, but so funny to share later. I love the laughs and being real in your podcast. And of course, she's referring to episode three, being seen as a mother. So thank you for that. Before I go over to the interview, in the show notes, I just want to remind you that I have listed all those resources for dealing with porn addiction in your life, whether that's you or a loved one. My family, were kind of known for saying things we shouldn't say. Today's episode is no different, especially with my brother here. We kind of banter back and forth and sometimes say things that other people don't think are funny or appropriate, but it's just how it goes. So I think it'll provide some hope though. And I think there's also going to be some good comic relief as usual. So let's go over to the interview. All right, we are going to go ahead and start part three of the pornography addiction series. This one is entitled Hope in Recovery. Eric and Brianna, still lovely to be with you. Yeah. It is 12.07 in the morning, so this seems like an optimal time to record. (laughs) This is, I think, the most beautiful part of the series. We are going to talk about the hope you have found in your marriage and recovery. I know many people who have had pornography addiction in their marriage, who have chosen to stay together. I also know many people that have not stayed with their spouse Mm -hmm. through their pornography addiction, sometimes by their own choice, sometimes by their spouse with the addiction. Their marriage didn't make it. Sometimes that can bring up some feelings of shame and, and wondering, I guess, what kind of empathy would you give to people they're trying to decide if they can stay. I know someone, yeah. I know someone right now whose husband has a pornography addiction and that's created in some other really hard compulsive behaviors. Mm-hmm. She's trying to figure out for herself if she can stay, if they're going to make yeah. it. What are your thoughts on that as we dive into marriage? First and foremost, there's not one right answer. There's just so many different life circumstances and different personality things and how committed someone is to change and just so many different things. We can't even name all the different things. There's just no one right answer. It's not right to stay and it's not right to leave. It really is between you and your spouse and the Lord. You got to do what is right for you. We were kind of there. I feel like we looked that path in the face, not staying together. And I don't have any judgment for people. You just have to make the decision that feels right for you. I would also add, we were counseled by our therapists and also by our sponsors when we started working the addiction recovery program, not to make any relationship decisions right off the bat because I tried to pull that trigger and my therapist, our therapist had to talk me off the cliff. I know that you feel this way right now. I know that you are so disgusted and you want to leave and you can't imagine living with him anymore, but just wait, please just wait and let give us some more time in therapy and then you can decide. And that was so wise because there were so many times where I was like, I am 
out. Piecing out, we're done. But I was in such a really heightened emotional state, just festering and out of control in this betrayal trauma, you know, just spinning all day long, every day. I couldn't make a rational decision at that point. I guess I'd give that caution too. Whatever decision you end up making, just breathe and pause and work through some things. Give therapy a chance, pray your guts out and get a little space. I would just want to say that there's not a person on this earth that is required to live in a relationship where they're being betrayed. Every single one of you out there, you do not have to stay in that relationship. I want you to hear that from me. It is not required and you shouldn't feel shameful. It's not your fault if someone else has betrayed you. You shouldn't put up with that. I mean, it's hard to change as an addict. It's hard to change, but it's the addict's fault where they're at. You don't have to go with them on that crazy whatever thing. You can cho choose to do whatever you want to do. We know lots of people who have taken different choices on this. And I have seen people find healing and happiness and joy in lots of the different paths. I absolutely have. Got someone that I'm really close to who they got a divorce. And a couple years later, they got remarried and they're happy. To each other? Mm-hmm. Wow. To each other. I know people got divorced and they married other people and were happy. I know people that person who was betrayed was happy and the person who, who did the betraying was never happy again. Just in case any of you want that to be the scenario. <clears throat> I know a bunch of people that are right now in the middle of this choice. They're in the middle of their marriage falling apart. I keep having two thoughts running through my head. One is that as the spouse of a sex addict, you get to be safe. That is something that you have a right to be. That is a really common feeling when you get into everything. It's just this feeling of trust and safety out the window and just like, what can I believe? And am I safe in my own house? And all these things, right? And so that's just something that I would say just keep in your mind is you get to be safe. You get to make decisions that help you feel safe, whether that is sleeping in different beds or you need to leave our house for a little while, whatever it is, just keep that in mind in all the decisions that you make. And that will help you get some space and feel calm, I think. And then the second thought that I've had running through my head is kind of a maxim that has helped me that my, I think my sponsor taught to me when I was working the steps. With your spouse who is trying to be in recovery, addict in recovery, you look for the signs of recovery and do you see those present? If you're going to give your marriage a chance, you give it some time and you look, am I seeing signs of recovery? And by that, I mean, am I seeing you going to meetings? Am I seeing you have open communication with me and we're checking in every day about our day and addiction and our feelings and things like that? Am I seeing you pray and have honest, earnest intent to have a relationship with God? Just all these different things, right? Am I seeing you sponsor people or checking in with your sponsor and whatever it is, journaling at night and going to therapy. What are the actions of recovery and do I see them? May I mention that the people that are struggling with the addiction that are sitting here, you better not show them these actions because you want them to make a decision. It's hard, but the addict, they have to be genuine. You can't be two-faced anymore. You can't. So I think that you just watch for those things, you know, and you'll feel that honest intent. I think it's something you can feel. You can't fake it. So you watch for those things. And if you see a pattern of those things happening, of living in recovery, and that's something that you can live with, that's helpful. Healing can happen regardless. But I believe that if a betrayed spouse has the opportunity to see their betrayer change, 
I think there's a lot of healing that can happen if it can work out that they stay together because otherwise some of that betrayal gets kind of frozen in time. The last thing of your relationship was the worst and you don't have the ability to see that change when you're not together. I would think that your relationship also takes on a new depth. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the people out there that are dealing with pornography addiction in their marriage, if they go forward with recovery and they find recovery, I guarantee you that the best years of your marriage are in the future. You know, addiction recovery requires you to make some really good changes in the way you communicate and in the way you are mindful, you know, and the way you check in with your emotions and the way you understand your spouse and the care you give to your relationship, it has to go up a notch. It's a hopeful future. It's not possible always because sometimes people aren't changing and I would recommend lots of communication about it. I think that if someone has betrayed you and you're contemplating leaving, that that should be being talked about. Rules are set up that they're understood, that this is the conditions of our relationship, that that's understood. And we have to be patient with each other because we're not perfect. So what have been some pivotal moments in your marriage relating to Eric's pornography addiction? I think of one time, I, I feel like it was a big changing moment for our marriage. It was in January and I'd started recovery in October. And so we were going to celebrate our anniversary. So Brianna laughs. It was the worst anniversary ever. <laughs> Brianna was still really mad. We and were very I much was... still a little bit, uh, are we going to make it or not? Leaning towards make it, but not quite sure. I was finishing up the 12 steps. I had gone through and done an inventory and I'd taken that inventory to the Lord and I had asked for forgiveness for everything and I had felt that I was forgiven from him and I had gone and tried to make amends with all these people that I'd harmed. I'd done a tremendous amount of work, but Brianna was still really mad. Yeah, so our anniversary was coming up and I think I remember... Brianna turning to me while getting rid of kids or something and saying, I don't know what there is here to celebrate. It was kind of low. And we went out. We had this tradition of going to the temple where we were married. And we had that plan to go do. They couldn't fit us in. And so they just said we have to come back another day. There were a couple things. Like things were just falling through. So, you know, we got to the point where it was just like, I guess we'll just go to dinner now. We went and we'd, we'd been driving probably for, I don't know, an hour and a half or something, being kind of mean to each other while we're driving. And we were going to go to some more romantic restaurant, but we were just like, no, we're going to go to Chili's. That's kind of our comfort food. It's Brianna's real favorite, right? And so we went and there's the lights are off at Chili's and there are signs up. Chili's has closed. And they're like going to demolish the building or something. And the, it was like a, a really popular part of town and it was always packed. What is happening so right like, now? Thing after thing was falling apart. I just started laughing and Brianna laughed. You know, here we were talking about how we didn't like each other. Everything was falling apart around us. It was just ridiculous to the point of ridiculousness. And we laughed. And laughing is an important thing in a relationship. We laughed, and to me, that moment kind of broke some of the ice of all of the tension that was going on. That was a big moment. Being able to laugh together, not be all serious for a moment, gave me the ability to kind of to move forward. How has addiction changed your relationship? 
There's so much more depth and so much more closeness. I think that our marriage is better than it ever has been, which is crazy. Kind of sounds crazy. Totally counterintuitive. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. It's way better than it was so before. It's much stronger and sweeter and just... And more transparent. Yeah. So transparent. Ridiculously transparent. We still see our same therapist that we saw back in the beginning of everything. We still work through stuff. We're like constantly working through stuff and he coaches us through being ridiculously transparent and talking and communicating so much. It's still a lot of work. It's hard, you know. Yeah. I mean, we feel vulnerable and it's hard sometimes to be honest about how we're feeling about yeah. different things. And in spite of all of the words here, I'm not always a huge talker, especially things that I feel scared about. But it's so open. Yeah, it is so open. We have a check-in that we do every night, mostly every night when we remember. Sometimes we forget, but every night is the plan where we just talk about our day. We do some accountability stuff with addiction and some reporting, and we talk about our sexual energy, and we talk about how connected we feel. We just every night are checking in. We do a lot of those things to stay connected. And it's interesting because I remember when Eric first just had that last disclosure to me, the overwhelming thing I felt was that our whole relationship was a lie. That just like my life was a lie, our marriage was a lie, our relationship was a lie. And I just felt like I would never be able to get over that. I was like, how can we move forward? There's no way we can move past this. You have killed our marriage and we cannot move past this. I felt that so strongly. I think that's really common from what I've read and talked to people about and stuff. But through therapy and just through the grace of God, we were able to get to a point to realize, hey, you can rebuild. It's not all a lie. There is lots of good stuff and lots of true stuff, but we're going to work through this stuff and we're going to rebuild. And, you know, there is a beautiful scripture in Isaiah that talks about how the Lord will give us beauty for ashes. That is just so true. Like he has just taken the ashes of our relationship and just given us something really beautiful. It's just so much better than it ever was before. And I think that's really cool and really hopeful and inspiring to hopefully for other people just to realize it can be so much better. What do you see in the future for your marriage? Lots more of awesome hanging out time. <laughs> we just, we love each other a lot and we're best friends and hopefully a long life of hanging out. <laughs> Just Eating having food, fun. Right? Yeah, food, well, good food. Gardening and Yeah, man, Brianna's <laughs> dinner she made tonight. Ooh, it was so good. <laughs> and I see lots of, <laughs> lots of communication, lots of talking and just moving forward together. You know, the big thing in addiction recovery is one day at a time. You don't think about tomorrow. You don't think about 10 years down the road. It's just one day at a time. So today we woke up and we tried to start our day with God and to walk with him and his strength. And then we get through the day that way. And then tomorrow we'll wake up and we'll do it again. But we worry about today. And so I think we're just going to have a whole long life, hopefully one day at a time of awesome. I've talked about that just briefly before, but I know for me feeling like I have probably a lifelong chronic struggle with depression, anxiety, at least certainly being susceptible to it. I think a lot about the analogy of daily bread. Yeah. Because looking at your entire life, when you have a weakness like that, or a weakness like pornography, it's really easy looking at my entire life, even though I I am so happy and I feel so much hope. Yeah. Looking at my entire life, even in this happy, hopeful state, is incredibly overwhelming and anxiety-provoking for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I gotta make it to yeah. the end. And, like, that's a lot of days. And mm -hmm. what if, like, I fall in the hole again? And what does that look like? Right. Even on my best days, now having that struggle that didn't used to be a struggle when I was when I was a kid and a teenager, 
life just looks really different for me now. And that fear of being able to be enough every single day. Yeah. And I'm sure you can relate to that, Eric, and probably you as well, Brianna, as being the supportive spouse. But I've just really found that just like you said, focusing on one day at a time, yeah. daily bread, just working on today, living in the present. Yeah. That's all we have. That's all we can work with is incredibly empowering and liberating too because you don't have to worry about everything else yeah it's it's a happier more elevated way to live i think in just really taking one day at a time so i see that as a great a great strength when you've been a pornography addict i can't imagine saying i'm never going to look at porn for the next 40 years yeah I have gotten to a place where I do feel like I could say that that's I have reasonable confidence that, that I'm not, at least never going back to where I was. I mean, I'm working on a progressive victory over lust, we say. I'm learning new lessons and I'm putting new things together, trying to continue to just become a better person. But yeah, absolutely. Like, and I'm sure especially oh, in the beginning of recovery. Oh yeah. So much fear of just not being able to do it. Last therapy session was like all about that. Brianna afraid that not gonna last forever. Me afraid that I'm not gonna be able to get wherever. And so that's something that you know our therapist trying to get us to do is communicate those fears to each other and, and and work on those. But one day at a time makes it possible. I can definitely do one day. What do we see for a marriage in the future is a lot more of the same forever. There's no like, we did it, yay, we did it, and we're done with that whole recovery. That was great, we, that was so hard, we did it. There's none of that. We keep doing it. Eric is going to go to meetings forever and ever, amen. Weekly meetings, it's happening. Let me say that. I'm gonna go to meetings <laughs> right. forever and ever. Amen. amen. We are gonna have our nightly check ins forever and ever, amen. We will continue to check up with therapists forever and ever, amen. We will continue strengthening our relationship with God forever. I mean, that is very much a part of our lives now. There's no checking it off the list and it's over. I think just having that expectation too is just something that's helpful to keep in mind. This is us for life. This is the way that we live our life forever so that we can live in recovery because it's worth it. It's worth every sacrifice. I thought so many times the question that you told me about that you asked yourself as you were contemplating leaving Eric and when you decided that you guys were going to make this work, that idea of when you make decisions, well, it's not worth my eternal family. Yeah. I almost lost my eternal family, yeah. right? That idea. And yeah. I, I thought of that as a really empowering thought as I've made decisions to live my life differently to keep me out of dark spaces. That there are just certain shows I don't watch. Yeah. There are certain conversations I don't participate in. There are just certain things that I am more susceptible that I just cannot afford to fall into because I'm choosing a happy life with my family and it's not worth, it's not worth losing my family, yeah. losing my ability to take care of my children that I almost lost. Yeah. And you almost lost your family. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. worth yeah. that, right? Yeah, we both feel that way. I mean, I talk to that kind of new people coming into the program all the time, coming into meetings and stuff. You know, I think they're a little bit, over, you know, sometimes overwhelmed when I talk to them about the routine and the restrictions and things that I that I have, that I've given myself. But it's, you just can't check it off the list. You know, that's so essential is an attitude of, no, I'm continuing to do this. It's not worth whatever inconvenience I'm dealing with. Being able to say, I'm free. That'll be worth anything to me. 
I don't have a full internet access on my phone. And I don't have this or that. And I'm careful about the way I do things. And I don't participate in different media things. And I have to be really careful, you know, about what movies I watch. And does it mean that I would like to just go act out if I, I watched a movie that had something? It doesn't mean that. But it means that why would I want to try it? Why would I want to test? You know, back when I was failing, that's the, my attitude that I had was like, oh, I'm good, so I think I can do this thing. And oh, I haven't acted out in three minutes, so I'm good. You know, <laughs> let's move forward and, you know, I'm done with whatever that thing is. But, you know, and it's hard because sometimes I forget and I have to remind myself, no, this is worth it. It's worth, it's it. worth anything. Who cares? The difference between my life now and what it was, it's like so easy to have whatever inconveniences that I have. It's like those that are uh, members of our church, the anti-Nephi-Lehites. They're bad murderers, right? And so they took all their weapons and they buried them and they said, I'm never going back to this. And they became just the most incredible people where there was no poor people because everyone, everyone was helping everyone. And then an army came and wanted to kill them all. And... And they were thinking about going back out and doing it. And their leaders said, no, we can't do that. They end up sending out their, their sons, their young sons to go and fight for them when the fathers should be protecting their families, right? They understood that things change, you know? You, you awaken the monster and it, it's in the background. You got to stay away from it. I tell people, I've never struggled with substance abuse. Okay, I've never had a drink of alcohol in my entire life. And so I have often, you know, in my professional career, gone and sat next to people drinking alcohol. And I've gone and sat at the bar with people and had them offer me a drink, you know, and oh, hey, we'll buy you a drink and whatever. And like, no temptation for me at all. It's never been a part of my life. I have no interest. I'm not going there. At my age now, I'm not going to start that. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. I can walk into, you know, I mean, I can walk into a liquor store and sleep there and hang out and, you know, have people, around and then you know, have everyone leave and there's no temptation at all. That's not the way it is for an alcoholic. Right. They're not going to be able to do that. They're never going to be able to go and have someone hand them the keys to the liquor store and stay in the liquor store overnight with nobody, right? That's not ever going to be for them. For me, I have things I don't do. For Brianna and I, we have things that we have to do that we're gonna do forever. That's happiness, because that's not acting out. That's living a life that I feel confident that I'm that I'm doing what, what I wanna be doing with my life. It's a pretty cool life. Yeah. It's a yeah. Really sacred, life. cool way to live. Yeah. yeah. Totally worth it. It's fantastic. I'm not perfect in every way, but what a difference. No, you're not. The stories I can tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I tell them others about you, but <laughs> life without pornography is beautiful. Even though it is still a big part of our life. Being able to have Brianna ask me whatever and have me be able to say no. And now I have to skirt around the question and kind of tell a half lie, you know, it's great. I feel like my own marriage has been blessed by your guys' example and your openness with each other. Rob can be downstairs working on the computer mm -hmm. and I'm upstairs and I can half jokingly but kind of seriously yell downstairs and be like, hey, you're not looking at porn, right? And he can be like, <laughs> Nope. Thanks for asking. And he does the same to me. Uh -huh. And I feel like we got that from you guys where we're just like, no, but really, are you good? Mm -hmm. Saying those words and not making them 
something that we're not able to talk about right. has been huge. And I feel like that's been a gift from you guys mm. in your openness yeah. that we can check up on each other. And it's not an offensive thing. Yeah. We're trying to make it. We know that every single person in this world is susceptible and that we are not immune to that because we have these two amazing examples in front of us and this marriage in front of us mm. that has worked to live, to get where you are. Eric, you're not a bad person. You weren't a bad person when you started to fall into this addiction, right? You made mistakes, but we all make mistakes. And sometimes those mistakes have more long lasting consequences than others. Yeah. You own it and you take care of it and you live this elevated, sacred life together. And I think it's a beautiful life. I really do. Mm, I'm inspired by it. If there's a couple struggling because pornography addiction has entered into their marriage and they're just struggling and they're hurting and they're shaking in the shower, they're feeling out of control. They're feeling those real powerful, intense feelings of fear and of pain and just that nobody can understand them. Seeing them, as we talk about on this podcast, seeing them in that moment right now, being there with them, what would be your last message to them? Three things I would say, and two of them are very short. <laughs> One of them is... Get your booty to therapy. Therapy, I can't stress it enough. Therapy was the tools that helped me to stop festering and to help us to be able to make headway in our relationship so that I could unlock the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ to have that heal me. I could not access that power until I got tools in therapy. And it was a gift from God, our therapist. It absolutely was such a gift. So find a good sex addiction therapist Find your own trauma therapist as a spouse. Get your booty to therapy is thing one. And if you don't find a good one at first, keep trying. Keep trying, yeah. And thing number two is get your booty to a 12-step meeting. I can't stress that enough. The 12 steps are for everyone. When we were first getting down the road of recovery, when I first got this last disclosure from Eric, a few people suggested that I work the 12-step program, and I bristled at that. Eric can tell you that. I was like, I am not the addict. I do not have a problem. I do not need to do that. And I was very resistant. Resistant. I didn't think it was for me. And then I started to see Eric find recovery and really make changes. And I could see a light in his eyes and I could see him starting to change. And I started to feel like he was kind of outpacing me a little. Not that it was a competition, but just I could see a difference and realize that I was stuck and he was making progress. My heart softened and I started looking into the 12-step program and it was such a blessing. And the thing that I would just say, and I would tell you, I would tell the me back then is that the 12 steps is for everyone. The 12-step program is a way that you access the atonement of Jesus Christ and you come closer to God. And it's just a practical way of putting those steps in your life and everyone needs that. We all have weaknesses. We all have problems and everyone needs that. And it was such a blessing. After I went through and did the work, did my inventory and I made amends and I did all these steps to try and develop my faith and repent and do the work on myself, not focusing on Eric, but focusing on me and what I could control. That was when I found miraculous healing. That was when the Lord healed me and he took this burden and he took the pain from me and he literally just took it in a moment and it's gone. I can remember it, but I don't feel it and I'm not in it. And it is a miracle. And then the last thing I guess I would say is just kind of that concept of making the Lord the center of your life. There is a beautiful scripture in the Book of Mormon that means so much to me. It's in Jacob chapter 2, verse 28. And part of it says, I, the Lord God, delight in the chastity of women. And that has been such a powerful revelation for me. I've had friends who have just said, oh, I don't even know if I believe in God because God wouldn't do this to me. God wouldn't let me hurt like this. The thing that I know is I know that God knows us and he loves his daughters and he hurts when we hurt. 
that scripture is so precious to me and the scriptures in that chapter of Jacob two in the book of Mormon, because I know that God loves us. I just would share that message too, is that, you know, sometimes it seems like the whole world does not delight in our chastity, right? And there's so many people against us, but I know that the Lord does. And I know that he's good and perfect and he's there with us and he's down with us in those dark, hard times. And he'll pull us up out of those as we have faith in him. I had a vision in my brain when things were hard that Jesus Christ was sitting on the very edge of his chair with his hands surrounding me, just barely not touching me, anxious, ready to grab hold of me. We're not alone. Whatever we have done, whatever you have done, there's a way back. There's a way to be forgiven, to change, to live a different life. Your life, your future is good. Do not in any way be lazy about this. Do anything you can. Give it everything. It's worth it to those that are hurting because of other people's choices. I am sorry. I am sorry that I participated. I'm sorry for your pain. The same actions of the Savior to heal and forgive people for their sins exist to heal and help people who have been sinned against. That's, in the end, the most important thing. It doesn't seem like it should be possible if there's a good God out there that this can be happening. But he is out there and he's going to bless you with a good life. Thank you guys so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for talking about it. You You're rock. welcome. You're welcome. We're going to talk a lot more about it. I guess. Talk about porn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Bring it on. Why not? Thanks for being on the podcast, guys. You're welcome. If you felt something during this podcast, please share it. Please share it on your Facebook, on your Instagram, on your Twitter, and say something about it. Don't just share the link. Write something about the link, about the podcast. The way that Facebook and other algorithms are going these days, it's important that you write something about it. It will be seen by more people. Also, I am looking to schedule with high schools for speaking gigs and junior highs where I can teach students about how to connect with each other, to really see each other, and how to prevent these students from feeling isolated like we so commonly see in our young people and in our adults. If you would like to support the podcast to help financially support this mission and this project going forward, go to icupodcast.com and click on support the podcast. Any donations or buying of the apparel is appreciated and it helps this podcast be able to continue to move forward. Until next week, guys, my name is Julie Lee and I see you. We need to do bloopers. And every time Brianna says, you can edit that. Like, that was terrible. You edit that. Let's see. <laughs> I know it's tricky to say what I get some bloopers, too. Things. Well, and we Without already shared, like, the most intimate detail of your life. What? Welcome to ICU. Oh, my podcast just started playing on my phone. My podcast started playing on my phone for some reason. I was looking at the review, and I must have accidentally touched it. None of that. No, no, no. I gotta... No, I gotta go. It's Trixie, eh? Yeah, it's Trixie. <laughs> we can't do, what, like a six-hour session, right? There's going to be a lot of dead space to edit for me. Pick a knife, I can't concentrate. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not good at this. Though. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, uh, you talk so fast. I talk so slow. Julie, go ahead. You got it.
got to ask me some questions or something. Get me back on track. Now you can decide, hey, we want to do this different and delete the whole thing and we can record it. No, totally we're not doing it. Uh, what I was going to say has nothing. It's like the opposite of that. Oh, sorry. Before you edit it, just take everything and go like 1.2 times speed because I've been talking so slow. It may not be pornography addiction, but maybe we're torture rats or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> torture rats. Blah, blah, blah. Keep talking because I can't stop. I hope I didn't get too much of the mumbly. Do you guys feel like you've got answered that question? Oh, we yeah. killed it. Is it now four in the morning? Or? <laughs> 12 20, baby. We're beautiful people. We're good looking people. Well, I know I am, but we do have the same genes, but you fell a little further from the. From the what? I'm just saying, one of your daughters looks like me, and we're just grateful that somehow she looks like me and not you, right? And is that some kind of a mama joke? I don't know. <laughs> Gotta leave mom out of this. My good idea is to do push ups if you feel tempted. I just hope I can get like Brianna sniffling, crying, and you saying that all at once. Yes. So we can understand the inappropriateness. Yes. I, yes. I inappropriateness. Yes. Good luck. Mm -hmm.